0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. I started this podcast for a very simple reason. You can find podcasts on pretty much any topic, but I wasn't aware of any that were focused on public service leaders. So rather than wait for somebody else to do it, I decided to give it a try. I wanted to give public service leaders a platform to tell their stories, to talk about the reforms and innovations they put in place, and to share lessons in leadership. I think this will be particularly interesting for current and future public service leaders, but a lot of the lessons are more broadly applicable. So I hope you enjoy it, and please remember to register on the website to never miss a future episode. This week's episode is with Ian Thomas. Ian is the Chief Executive of the Royal Borough of Kingston upon Thames. Ian was actually the very first person I asked to be a guest on the podcast last year. And whilst he didn't have time at that point, I think it speaks a lot to the person Ian is that he wrote me a very nice, encouraging email and uh, assured me that I was doing the right thing. So I'm just so pleased to have the opportunity to speak to Ian now. The interview is in two parts. The first is all about place. Now, a lot of the previous interviews have focused on people services, but today's interview with Ian is all about what makes Kingston a really exciting, vibrant, attractive place. And that includes education and skills. It includes other public services. It includes inward investment, really exciting developments such as Unilever deciding to base their global headquarters in Kingston recently. We cover all of that. The second part of the interview covers Ian's time as the Director of Children's Services in Rotherham. Now, as I'm sure you will all know, Rotherham was the scene of one of the most well-known and shameful child sexual exploitation scandals, and Ian became Director of Children's Services there in 2015 and played a leading role as the Council and other partners worked to try and recover. And in his own words, Ian describes how that was achieved. So there's a huge amount in this interview, and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time for a chat. We've got lots to talk about. You're obviously the Chief Executive of Kingston Council now, but it would be great to give the listeners a
1: brief potted history. Well, thanks, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be interviewed by the Sean Connery of London. I think I said. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> you I have wish. The amazing Certainly, dress.
0: the hairstyle. The hairstyle <laughs> is quite the. Only, uh, no, it's
1: good about. looking and debonair as well. Good looking and sort of <laughs> like you know that wonderful um, tone to your voice and the accent you have. So uh, yeah, good afternoon. As you say, I'm the uh, I'm the CEO of the Royal Borough of Kingston. I, I left school. Age 16 and went straight into work um, since then i've been working and studying for 35 years now mainly in local government although i have spent some time in the voluntary and private sectors mm-hmm. prior to becoming a chief executive i was the director of children's services in both Rotherham and derbyshire
0: really interesting point about like when you left school there's a there's a few chief executives who made it to the top who have come that route. And it just, I don't know, it just makes me question about where our priorities are in terms of how we choose leaders and things. And I think it is a really important point to make, actually. So thank you for that.
1: No, I I agree. I mean, you know, we all have different learning styles and we all develop at different paces too. I don't think I would have been um, ready for university when I was younger I, you know, I, I, I had ambitions to be a, a footballer. And when that didn't transpire at the age of 16, you know, licking my wounds for a bit, I suppose I wasn't really in the mood for that. I wanted to get out to work. So my response was to, to, to go out to work and, uh, and, and gain that uh, valuable early experience. Um, but then, you know, studying at a time that was right for me. Yeah clearly clearly worked for me and i caught up eventually but um it's all about having a variety of pathways for, for that suits yes. individuals i would say
0: i think for me i would have gotten much more from university going to later in life you know i i really enjoy learning and studying now mm-hmm. and when <laughs> i went to university i didn't so it's yes. just i think it's a, it's a really good point so just as as a first area to explore we probably should talk about COVID-19 because that's been the thing which has probably dominated your life for the past year and and a lot of other people so it it has had a huge impact on London and Kingston much like other parts of the country um can can you comment on the impact that COVID has had on your patch?
1: Well well, firstly Andrew I'd like to um pay tribute to the amazing people that I work with and that includes you know elected members the staff that I work with and of course our partners because we would not have achieved what I'm about to describe without them they've been absolutely amazing this this past year like many places COVID-19 has had a devastating effect on our communities Similar to what we've seen elsewhere, Andrew, up and down the country, sadly, we've seen excess deaths, job losses, and a consequential impact on the health and well-being of people of all ages. Mm. Over 25% of those working in the borough are on furlough. That's 24,000. Well, individuals. That's a and we, yeah, and we have seen a sharp increase in universal credit applications at plus 130 percent. So, okay. so you can see, uh, not too dissimilar from many other places, that the pandemic, the pandemic has had this significant impact. Um, but tribute to to our people in terms of how they responded to it, I have to say.
0: And then that point about furlough, I think is really pertinent because as that is withdrawn, I think a big challenge the whole country will face. And undoubtedly, as you've described your, your area, just on, on how sustainable some of those, some of those rules and jobs are without furlough. That's a big challenge we all face.
1: It is. And, um, no doubt we can speak about this later on because i know you want to talk about the economy and yeah um, you know what the council and partners are doing to ensure that we do bounce back better in terms of the economy and i can talk to you about that later let's turn to
0: that now actually because as you say the focus is turning to recovery it'd be great great to just hear a little bit about what your priorities in kingston are and you know i'm sure as you mentioned you'll you'll want to talk about health economy
1: yeah, well, in Kingston, like many other places, as I've, as I've alluded to, you know, we were dealing with the pandemic with, so with one eye uh, focusing on the um, eye of the storm, as it were, because it was a very scary time. We'd not dealt with this before. It's what people have called, academics have called a wicked issue. We'd not had the experience of being in the throes of a pandemic before. And and those of us in leadership positions always kind of had the other eye on the future, you know, what what the future was going to be like, what would be left on the beach when the the tide's gone back out, you know, sort of that is the sort of space we were in. So as we were making our way through the pandemic, uh, we commissioned an independent formative evaluation in Kingston to learn lessons and build on successes. So uh, new local were commissioned to come in and speak to council and our partners and those affected sort of, you know, in the local uh, community, Uh, using an appreciative inquiry approach to identify the strengths and to use that energy to um, help understand what we needed to do in the future going forward Mm -hmm. Um, and and out of that we created two member-led task forces in Kingston one that focuses on the community and one that focuses on the local economy because they are inextricably linked those two work strands you can't have a healthy economy without having healthy people Um, And both of those work strands are kind of making good progress. And we've seen in Kingston announcements made at this very significant time with regard to um, major organisations choosing Kingston as a place to invest. And this will have a concomitant positive impact on the health and wellbeing of the local population. So... Uh, Unilever announced that Kingston would become home uh, to its uh, global HQ. Uh, bringing, yeah, I internet. saw you.
0: I saw you mentioning that on on Twitter and in the press. I mean, that's a huge achievement.
1: It yeah, is. I, I, I it can't is.
0: imagine the work that goes on behind the scenes to secure something like that. So, it's a real credit.
1: I don't think it was. Um, it didn't happen by coincidence or happenstance um there there were lots of um, conversations about why kingston was the right place for unilever a 50 billion euro multinational and we were competing with other options right across europe Mm -hmm. so when they uh, had, had concluded their consultation with their staff about Kingston as a place, uh, their staff supported the uh, executive's decision to uh, consolidate its HQ in the fine borough of Kingston. And as I said, that that brings 2,000 jobs to the town centre, which um, as you can imagine, is a significant boost for the local economy. Linked to that is their sort of Uh, a lot of construction to ensure that they create a campus uh, that is fit for purpose to accommodate their staff. And it comes with additional housing, which is much needed in the borough, given uh, the growth in our population that's projected. So, you know, a huge deal and a huge boost. Um, At the same time, the council is bringing forward plans to redevelop its main guild hall site we have three mm-hmm. buildings on this site we have the iconic guild hall and we have two other buildings that are underutilized uh, and will be more so given what we've seen through the pandemic with more people working from home and people wanting to choose a blended a blended approach in the mm-hmm. future you know um home working and some working in the office so We have been, I would say, proactive in seizing the moment around all of that to reduce the reliance on buildings for ourselves um, and developing, well, options that are fit for the future. So um, more uh, high quality commercial space, as an example. Yeah. Again, housing, which is much needed. Um, And it's not a secret that... One of the, one of the ideas for the iconic guild hall in what we're calling heritage led regeneration is yeah. for that to become a boutique hotel. And, you know, to bring that into, into uh, effective use seven days a week, again, visitors that will support the ancient market square, the wonderful riverside scene that we have, as well as the wider uh, economy, uh, the ecosystem that feeds the local economy. We also have a Factory a, a of Futures, a Creative Youth, our partners, Factory Futures scheme underway to bring the Undercroft to life. That is the, the Riverside stretch that runs alongside John Lewis there, um, yep. and an amazing partner that we have working on that, plans for Tolworth. And of course, um, you will have also heard, Andrew, given that you are someone that observes what happens in local government the cambridge road estate the 800 million pound uh regeneration of one of our well it's it's not one of it's the most deprived estate in kingston Uh, and that that scheme a joint venture with countryside properties will deliver 2170 sustainable homes following a a vote a ballot that was conducted for residents and after careful consideration and lots of engagement residents voted to support the council's plans to regenerate the the area with countryside properties i have to i haven't finished andrew i have to say no no also included in the plans is the proposal to replace the kingfisher leisure center with a brand new state of the art facility
0: that's fantastic so i'm i am absolutely as you say a very close observer of local government but also really interested in what the government called the levelling up agenda and actually everything you described there i think very clearly shows that what that agenda is trying to to, to achieve is not simply in the ownership of central government there, you know, really good councils are taking the initiative and doing things on their own on those key elements of core infrastructure, attracting business to an area and then improving housing as well. I think that what you've described there is almost a perfect recovery programme, you know, a complete package with all the different bits.
1: Yeah, but I must correct you. So whilst we are a key player, we're not doing this alone. I think you yes. use that term. This has happened because of strong partnerships that we have developed over the last couple of years now. So this is absolutely about the strength of a partnership that includes our police that work with us on ensuring that Kingston is a safe place, you know, lowest offences over the last year yeah. in London. Um, it's about the university and the brilliant college that we have that make up our fantastic all-age education offer in Kingston it's about our relationships with health you know we have an excellent hospital facility but we have great relationships with the integrated care system um, and what was the local clinical commissioning group um, which of course uh, is, is being phased out you know that the whole um, uh, health system is being changed but yeah the fact is uh, or the essence of what I'm trying to say is that that relationship's great too, uh, and then of course our amazing voluntary sector and our faith sector and you need all of this to, to to work you need all of these fantastic partnerships to be working well to achieve some of the um developments that I've mentioned earlier
0: and private sector as well obviously you've got Ginda lever coming
1: in, and that's a, a key. Well, a key. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, the thing, the problem with listing, Andrew, is that you forget people or you, you know, inadvertently omit people. But uh, we have a brilliant business improvement district in Kingston First, and of course, our Chamber of Commerce, yeah. um, as well as our wider business community. COVID's been bad, bad in many respects and, and awful, but some of the opportunities and some of the positive things that have emerged include a new relationship with our business sector because hitherto we were collectors of taxes. We collected business rates. Yeah. Um, now we've been the ones that have been handing money to our businesses. <laughs> so yeah. that kind of yeah. changes the relationship. Um, it, it, it's been a much more enjoyable endeavour, I think, to give money to people rather than collect it, I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just human nature that that has helped to shift the dynamics of the local relationships that we have.
0: Okay, I want to ask you about Kingston as a place because anybody who follows you on LinkedIn, you're very passionate and vocal champion of Kingston as a place. Inverted commas. So can you? You've already started to answer this question, but it'd be great to hear just a bit more about what you think really makes a place. Because around the country, a lot of areas are trying to almost rediscover in some circumstances what makes them a place and what the characteristics of their place are and in Kingston, you have always come across as somebody who's got a very clear idea of that
1: yes yeah, it's, it's a good point i i wrote a piece uh, andrew about why invest in a place and to 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 understand that better i think one has to step inside the shoes of an investor and that helps you to develop a, a bit of an empathy with what investors are looking for and a, gives you a better idea the public sector yeah. hasn't always been brilliant that no 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 I, but i but i think it's really important to do that whether you are um, designing services for service users or you know you're shaping a place it's best to do that with people rather than uh, you know imposing a solution yeah. on people that you think might work And i take my cue from our elected members actually so you know we have 48 elected councillors all passionate about our local place and um i think as a chief executive part of my role is supporting them as an ambassador for the borough And and i'm and as you've seen i'm all too happy to to do that the policy the local policy Landscape is a really interesting and exciting one for the place. Mm-hmm. And our, my job is to uh, translate the vision of our our members um, uh, into reality, working with the amazing people uh, that work for Kingston and work with Kingston, yeah. uh, which, which is a, a good segue into sort of, well, what are the sort of characteristics that one would look for? Um, so education, which I've mentioned, and, and, and an excellent education service. Um, 90% of our schools are rated good or better. Our college locally is rated good. Our university, they are a brilliant partner, world renowned for um, arts and fashion and, you know, and are really entrepreneurial in terms of their approach. So they're great partners to have on site. So a fantastic education system and any investor would be pleased to hear that Um, at just over 60%, uh, Kingston has a higher number of level four qualified people than what you would find elsewhere, generally speaking. So that is an an attraction, that is a draw. The upkeep of the public realm, again, the pandemic has been really difficult, but we managed to keep the roads clean and, you know, our, our refuse collections Uh, service uh, uh, the people who work in refuse worked incredibly hard and I'm not saying that it's perfect Andrew but you know the look and feel when you when you when you walk around the borough or if you're on a bus or you're driving around the borough uh, or you're cycling we have a wonderful 32 million pounds cycling infrastructure uh, the go cycle scheme you will see that the place is a beautiful place Okay, yeah. so um uh that leads me to the natural assets, our parks and open spaces. Thirty two percent of Kingston is green belt or metropolitan open land. Uh-huh. Transport links are really good, seventeen minutes into into Waterloo from Surbiton, you know regular trains in from from Kingston, and again conversations to be had around you know how we can make improvements, so conversations with Transport for London um, and um, Southwest rail about how we can uh, further improve the frequency. Our members have worked with TFL on the green bus network, so all that development behind the scenes taking place mm-hmm. um, the social scene we have a wonderful food and beverage offer um throughout the borough. Um and I think I mentioned in a in a recent posting that uh nightclubs are kind of beyond me now, but <laughs> somewhere to somewhere to have nice food and drink with friends is, is yeah. really good. Sustainability of an of, of an area. Um and to bring this this to life, you know, Kingston has declared a state of climate emergency. We want we do want to be um uh CO two neutral by twenty thirty thirty eight. We were the first to have a citizens assembly on air quality. You know, we're proud of all of that. But when you're an investor like Unilever, as an example, you know, a company that has really strong values, they were really pleased to hear about our ambitions to ensure that while we were looking at heritage led regeneration, we were also proponents of a green agenda and yeah. we are passionate about that green agenda uh, and 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 organizations like Unilever with that kind of value base were really heartened to hear about that he was also really pleased to hear about the quality of our other services so Kingston spends 55 percent of its money on social care and we are rated outstanding Work, whether it's in children's services or adult social care, he was pleased to hear that because he knows that we will be doing our very best to support those most affected from COVID in terms of their mental health and well-being. Hospital healthcare, I've talked about Kingston Hospital, how good it is. Um, low crime, I've mentioned this as well. Work with our police and uh, and local stakeholders like um, Kingston Race Equality Council, who are passionate about reducing hate crime, and. You know, having vibrant town centres, you know Kingston has a number of town centres, not just in Kingston Town, but we have Surbiton, we have New Malden, we have Tolworth, conversations that we're having about you know Chessington High Street's taking place as well. But when I look at the main town centre, just again to put this into into some perspective with regards uh, to where we are on the renewal journey, our footfall. Thanks to the work of of, of of local partners, the local partnership, and local stakeholders and our traders, traders, footfall yeah. in uh, Kingston has just dropped by four percent when compared with a year ago. Um, yeah. well, the, sort of. So, uh, and that compares favourably with a thirty-six percent reduction in London and twenty-six percent reduction yeah. nationally so you know that is that is fantastic what do you think that is well i i to to be to be to be absolutely honest with you the work of people here before me uh, should be credited for that because you know kingston is a destination place you know um it's always been a popular retail destination so you know credit to all of the people that have worked in Kingston over many years now to create a place that's a a fantastic destination. So that's a good foundation from which to work on. But we have seen nationally a decline on the high street because of people's shopping habits. They've changed, haven't they? We know that more people shop online now. But I think that, and and, and this is work in progress, I have to say, you know, we do need to diversify our town centre. So it becomes um, much more of an experience rather than relying on retail uh, and that's that that work is underway um but we have worked incredibly hard as well to make it you know a welcoming place. I talked yeah. about Kingston first as a business improvement district they've done some amazing work with the university um, to ensure that there's you know beautiful artwork in certain places where we we are um There's a competition that's been launched to promote uh, and showcase sculpturing in the town centre. So we've all worked hard to say to people, Kingston's open for business, and when you come to Kingston, you'll find lots of things to do. And part of the the work going forward is around um, opening up the hog mill, um, making a, a better connection between the... Riverside scene, as it were, yeah. and the town centre itself, because, yes. because, you know, you can, you can visit Kingston Town Centre as, 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 as a new visitor and not even know that the riverside is there and it's a beautiful yeah. beautiful setting when people come to to to, to meet me here from outside uh, if they've ever got a, a business meeting and we go down to the river they think they're on holiday and yeah, true uh, yeah. you're not on holiday you know this is not kingston jamaica this is kingston london not, <laughs> you know, don't don't be mistaken so and it's a it's a it's a fantastic uh setting a fantastic place uh and i think that we have worked hard collectively to sell The asset that is that is Kingston Borough. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Ian.
0: No, 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 no. I
1: was I was going to go on and and talk about the uh, the district heating system network again, which is an attraction around sustainability and linked to the green economy. Because one of the things about new buildings and uh, heritage-led regeneration is that we're looking at sustainable power using the Hoxmell and new sustainable buildings, um, more open spaces. Um, and again, that can, that's about the fabric of the place.
0: Yeah, you should write this down in a playbook. I mean, I know you do capture it on on individual posts, but there's a, a, there's a lot of learning there. I, I know a lot of the places that I work with around the country would would love even some of those elements of what you've talked about there. I mean, it sounds like Kingston is actually very successful in keeping young people in Kingston. Everything is there, you know. I'm sure that was something that Unilever found attractive—that kind of really highly mm. educated and skilled workforce that that's there or thereabouts. And you know, in other parts of the country, people—I I hate to say this—but they they often can't wait to to leave the place
1: if they have a chance. And Kingston obviously doesn't have that problem. I would say that. Okay. So if I if I if I were to tell you that. Um, on, a, on a daily basis, we have um, forty-five thousand people leaving Kingston for jobs elsewhere that have a higher economic value. Yeah, it's not a, a judgment about the value of the job, but it's an economic value. It's yes, there's a price on the job, and um we have thirty-six thousand coming into Kingston to work. We uh, uh, export nine thousand net, and that is because of an over reliance on retail, uh, hosts, wholesale, and hospitality. Okay, yeah. We need it. It's 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 great to have it, but I use the word over reliance. And our challenge is around diversification. Yeah. Um, and uh, Little coming into Tolworth a, a scheme that was agreed before my time, and um, bringing eight hundred jobs the Unilever deal with the 2,000 high quality jobs, we will start to see that diversification taking shape. I also think there are opportunities, and this is why the development of the main guild hall to create more commercial, flexible commercial space, you know, high grade commercial space, will help us retain... The entrepreneurs that are leaving Kingston University. Kingston University are among the leaders in yep. the numbers of entrepreneurs that they produce. And I would say, Andrew, conversely to to to, to what you said, actually, okay. um, that we've lost a lot of those. Uh, and you know, with these developments, we have them in mind. Okay, uh, Kingston University. Um, uh, is world-renowned for art and fashion. Uh, given our our push, our interest in culture, we have the Rose Theatre as, as, a, as a key partner as well, and that push around culture, arts and fashion will be also very, very important and an opportunity in an area like Kingston. So when I've talked about economic recovery, renewal in the past, I've talked about some of the opportunities that are emerging such as tech there'll be another tech revolution you might have heard me say that when you translate what i've said about development Mm -hmm. and i haven't mentioned yet what's happening at surrey county hall so you know surrey county council as you know are moving out there's a huge beautiful site there again construction with the housing that i've talked about the development that i've talked about construction will be a booming industry, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, just looking at this from a national perspective, and the need for us to deliver three hundred thousand homes nationally, that will be the case, I think, up and down the country. And I, you know, if you look at construction as an industry, it's not just about people that build and do that work, but engineers and planners and you know, yes. business support, etc. I think there'll be a huge shift in green and sustainability. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the changes in America um, and the refreshed attitudes towards tackling climate change yeah. will trigger a huge investment in, in green and sustainability issues. globally. Um, and, and, and that will play out in this country and, and including Kingston, of course. Um, right. Health and care, because of what's happened, another growing area, education, hygiene. Yes, I'm up for hygiene, Andrew, every time. Great. That's me. Lovely. Right. Yes. Places <laughs> that are clean, you know, hygiene, that will be a, a, a growing uh, industry. But I make the point because depending on where you are, there'll be opportunities that are bespoke to certain areas um and coming back full circle arts and fashion in kingston and culture in kingston is one of them uh, and it's because of the the, the local um, assets that we have lots of creative people lots of creative minds and there's no reason why this shouldn't be a bit of a mecca for art fashion and culture uh, yeah. in this wonderful place
0: that's a great description of kingston as a place and i think there's a lot of building blocks there that that other places could take from and and learn from as well. So I, I want to take you far from Kingston now to Rotherham, and you took over as director of children's services there in January 2015, and this was against the backdrop of the child exploitation scandal, and at the time it was described as a as a toxic mess. Quote, and that you know a lot of people were saying that you were essentially taking on one of the most difficult jobs in Britain, and I don't think there's any doubt in that. Um, Can you say a little bit about what it was like and what you did
1: in Rotherham? Um, So I I think the first thing I would say is that, again, this was about a system response um, and the collective efforts of many people that um, worked together to turn around a very difficult situation. Some would argue that it wasn't the most difficult job. You know, people, we have surgeons and people that perform, um, you know, very difficult jobs every single day. Um, I think the point that those people who said that were trying to make was that it was so toxic and so ingrained in the culture of the place that... It wouldn't, it, it it couldn't be fixed, um, or couldn't be easily fixed. Yeah, um, and I, I would certainly attest to that. You know, this this yeah. what happened there was the result of lots and lots of hard work. Um, so I remember having conversations with people, really early on, um, including the media, and using the famous Nelson Mandela quote: "It takes a village to raise a child," because. This wasn't just about one agency, this was about a system and a community that uh, needed to truly learn from the past, to face those uncomfortable truths and learn from the past. And the approach of myself and my team was about speaking to many of those who uh, the system had let down, actually, in terms of redesigning um, services. I think that um, formulating uh, a vision with local leaders, schools, those in youth services, as well as social care, those in health, the volunteer sector, um, and our police was critical to it early on. And I think that credit to people there, they all signed up for a transformation towards Rotherham becoming known as an outstanding service yeah and we also put a, a, a time frame on it so very early on when i started in 2015 we said by 2018 um we would be delivering the type of quality commensurate with an outstanding service we were very clear that this wasn't about ofsted or ofsted ratings this was about quality and quality of service because i'm a i'm a believer that um henry ford once said didn't he that quality is what happens when no one's looking if Mm. you focus on quality and you're relentless in pursuing quality practice then ofsted judgments and ratings will follow because they'll find it they'll come out and they will see it and i was fortunate to have you know great people around me, the commissioners that were put in place were fantastic. I I was able to draw on their expertise. I had, you know, a tremendous staff team. You know, one of the one of the most satisfying things, Andrew, at the end of it, once Ofsted had come back and I asked the HR team about the workforce in terms of how many of the workforce were there when I first started when the place was labeled effectively a basket case yeah and we found that 75 per- percent of the staff were still with us these were the staff who were spat at and vilified on the doorstep these are the staff that the press were haranguing and we had all the media camped outside we had the english defense league um, marching through the town on a daily basis yeah um and the the, the level of trust was kind of beneath the floor. And yet these people were still here and, and it's testament to them that they just didn't have the tools to do the job effectively. I never believed that people came to work to do a bad job. Um, I believed that people needed the tools necessary to do great work. So as an example, some of the social workers that I met had caseloads of 48 and in, you know, even for the, an initiated, Andrew, you can, that's a lot, you know, a lot of yeah, children no, support. Yeah. Um, I mean, a normal
0: caseload is what, I mean, you think, what would that be around?
1: Well, we promised people that we would bring caseloads down to between 16 and 22. Right. Some, some authorities are currently guaranteeing less than that. But it's um, using a crude figure can be misleading because of the complexity of some of those cases and a case isn't a family you know a case is a child and you know so so this is about having really good supervision so that caseloads are manageable rather than you know a a crude figure but you can straight away if someone's got a caseload of 48 you can write half of those off straight away in terms of them not getting a a great service yeah So, so we did a lot of work with practitioners on what good looks like we did a lot of work on uh, operating models and evidence based practice we had lots of conversations with service users about you know service standards and what they expected um, i did a lot of work with uh, victims and survivors of uh, of of cse we did a lot of work on that and at the end of the day we had as i said this ethos around uh, linked to the uh, unrelenting focus on quality would yeah. this be good enough for my child so yeah. what you we were doing we encourage people to consistently ask themselves that question yeah um would this be good enough for my child uh, would this be good enough for my family um, and that's what got us through with help from our friends as well because in that service you rely on peers and we had lots of peer reviews we had um support from lincolnshire county council and i know you've spoken to my friend debbie barnes who's yes. this here. yes we <laughs> have. yeah uh, and she was on part of the journey with us so I was there for about three and a half years and uh, she got on board with her team uh, after about 18 months or so. Um, And and they were great in terms of, you know, the support um, around that quality endeavor Uh, and just to check and challenge because nobody, nobody knows everything about everything or or knows anything about anything. So you always, you always need support from other people and a perspective from other people. And, we developed a learning culture that was open to that.
0: So, Ian, yeah, I think that's a, that's
1: a wonderful full explanation of
0: the Rotherham situation and what happened and what the response was like. Now, I am not a, a children's social care professional, but I have studied it as much as I can Um just to try and learn about it from a public service design perspective. So I've read Sammy Woodhouse's book, Just a Child. Sammy was one of the the whistleblowers there, and also some of the responses to that. And it just seemed to me, and I'd love to get your, your views on this, that it didn't seem to me, as you've said at all, like these were professionals who were setting out to do a bad job. It was almost as though the game was rigged to lose, because it felt like, For each of the different agencies involved, police, social care, they had, as you say, a lot of pressure, a lot of demand, and they had to have thresholds that needed to to be met. And it was almost like some of these cases, um, just on the evidence available to the professionals, didn't quite meet their own threshold to take action, but there was nobody joining up the whole picture. And if you did join up the whole picture, the view from the police, the view from social workers, the view from public health, you would see a really dangerous situation. But that it seemed to me that that wasn't happening. And that was one of the problems.
1: Yeah, I think um I think you're right. When, when I first got there, um there was a plethora of plans and strategies. But, you know, the old Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah, um, really comes to the fore because, it doesn't really matter, Andrew, what the plan says. It's what you do that matters. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I always say that change what you do, then change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Change what you do, then change the narrative. And you're absolutely right, you know, when a system's broken and as an example, as in Sammy's case, you know, a, a child goes missing. Um she's found in bed with her with the perpetrator of her abuse, who's 10 years older, she was 14, he's 24, and they arrest her to return her to the placement and let, let him go, you can see um, how broken that system was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, uh, that, that could never be right. You know, you know children are children. Yeah. Um, and uh, our job is to protect them uh when they are being abused or at risk of being abused at risk of significant harm and to support them. And for whatever reason, for a number of years that didn't happen. And I suppose one of the I I, I was kind of one of the things that was fortunate about the timing of it was that there was a change in the leadership of the police at that time. And the police uh, made it their priority to reopen the files and take on board um, Sammy's case and others, and and take take it on board seriously. They that's when Operation Clover was born. Yeah. Uh, run by a fantastic, fantastic detective chief inspector, the uh, SIO on the case, called uh, Martin Tate, and his team. They were brilliant. Uh, and they worked incredibly hard, supported by agencies like mine and the voluntary sector uh, to support the witnesses through the through the whole gruelling process. But the level of the, the quality of their investigation was amazing. And the, and, and the reason why um, I mentioned this particularly is because they played a significant part. Operation Clover played a significant part in, in instilling confidence in the local area. And that is because, as you've said, not many people understand the the intricacies of child protection. Yeah. The complex area requires a lot of skill, and on behalf of the practitioners and managers and leaders, uh, and the wider partners, but everybody in the community gets when a bad guy goes to jail. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when we when we worked together you know led by martin Tate and his fantastic team on operation clover and the sentences were handed down to those to those perpetrators of of the abuse of sammy and and, and other uh, girls who had now turned women um and a total of 102 years were handed down 35 years for the ringleader uh, sammy's um, abuser uh, 35 years his brother got 25 another brother got 20 um that was Judge Sarah Wright saying, We mean business here. Yeah. <laughs> uh and the judge sent out a clear message with regard to the serious nature of these cases and these trials. And the National Crime Agency are still there now. They're they're running um, Operation Stovewood um and we worked alongside each other. And and I'm really in awe of the painstaking approach yeah, investigation, but they appreciate the role that other agencies played in supporting witnesses. So a real team effort and very rewarding as well. It was. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what we then had to do was to deliver and really pay the faith that people had entrusted us with, who put myself and other leaders in place and our staff to deliver great quality practice. Um, And that's what the team did. And and I'm grateful to um, those workers that are still there, still my friends today, still doing great work. It's always a risk when you name people because others who aren't named can be unhappy about that. As I've said many, many times, so many people are to be credited for what was achieved. Some who I worked with very closely are still there doing a great job for Rotherham's families today. And these include David McWilliams, Susan Claydon, Jenny Lingrell, Elsa Barr, a.k.a. Legend, and <laughs> Ken White. <laughs> there is one, though, who I have worked with for many years, including at Derbyshire, who deserves heaps of praise, and that's Mel Meggs mel who is now the dcs the director of children's services in Kirklees, joined us when we were i would say halfway through the journey in rotherham as my deputy director she is an incredibly bright woman both a qualified nurse and social worker who risked her career to join us to put the needs of rotherham families first she And her staff presided over the most complex social work, casework. And I owe her a debt of gratitude. And I just wanted to say that.
0: Uh, I'm sure that that is hugely appreciated. And something that's really come through from this entire conversation is your focus on the team. We've time for one more question. And I ask this at the end of each of each interview. So what bit of advice would you give to someone working in the public sector or in a charity or social enterprise indeed who delivers public services what advice would you give them if they want to make the sort of impact that you've been able to make during your career
1: well i think the first thing is to correct your language it's not me i think it's we Mm -hmm. it's always it's seriously it's always about we and it's always about working with people and that's the first thing um i always say to people that you know individually we might know a lot but together we know a whole lot more yeah. Um you know that's the first thing. The second thing is being open to learning, trying to develop that learning culture. You don't know it all. In fact, many of the answers to the challenges that we face are within the very same communities that we are trying to serve. Yeah. So the answers lie within those very same communities that we're working hard to serve. I would say, um, in terms of leadership, distribute that leadership so that so through a distributed leadership model, you are empowering people to do great work to really push the boundaries on the art of the possible. Yeah. Um, you have to create the conditions for excellence to thrive. Uh, we touched on this with caseloads, but that can be about you know the, co- the the tools you use, the computer system and software that you use, which was defunct. In the example that we talked about, we had to replace that with the team, but that's another example. You know, the business support that they have, the access to great supervision, the space to reflect on their casework. So that's about creating the um, conditions and always uh, looking to improve outcomes continuously and set the bar high. You know, when when we said we wanted to be outstanding, that wasn't without criticism coming back in, Andrew. You know, people told us we we weren't being unrealistic. Mm. We thought that that target was a smart target. And the good thing about setting the bar high is that you're always working hard towards excellence. Um, And, you know, even when you're good, you're working hard to be better. You know, better better never stops, um, in my opinion. Yeah. and I could probably say a bit more. I could say a bit more about coaching and mentoring yeah. and all that good stuff. But, you know... Yeah. Um, no,
0: there's a lot covered there, definitely, yeah. I, I know that we're running out of time here, but just one particular point. So really good leaders in the public sector are the ones who, manage, in my opinion, are the ones who manage to genuinely empower people to take control of things. Now, some of the poor leaders I've observed aren't able to do that, aren't able to let go. How do you just very briefly, how how do you get in the in the mindset where you're comfortable when you're dealing and ultimately responsible for really important statutory high risk services, how do you get in a place where you're comfortable empowering others to take important decisions when you know at the end of the day it's your it's your head on the block if things don't don't work out?
1: Um it's about trust, Andrew. It's, um, CIPD did some research recently, it's published in November about the importance of trust. And people will tell you that work with me that I do trust them to do a good job. Um, my starting point is that you will do a good job because you've studied, you, you work, you, you come to work to do a good job. You, you're in the public sector. Um, you have a public sector ethos. Which means that you want to deliver for your local communities, and that's my starting point. Yeah. So trusting people to get on and giving them the uh, the latitude to be creative and innovative is some of the best advice I can give because yeah I, I I cannot direct from on high about how people manage their work on the ground. I believe that everyone has leadership potential, yeah. uh, great potential to 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 create and develop new ways of working that i certainly can't do Uh, people are doing this work every single day um and it's like you know in a mentoring situation as an example i am a proponent of reverse mentoring now people are talking about reverse mentoring more and more and i learn so much from the people that i mentor Um, that is a case in point you know always always learning people who are out there doing brilliant work can really shift the dial on, on, on practice. And I've seen it happen. And I've made the mistakes, Andrew, of, you know, saying to saying to people in a previous life, previous role, this is how things can be done. When juxtaposed to that, when that didn't work, actually, and I've used a different approach, uh, and that approach is go away with your teams, tell me how you think it should be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we've actually managed to secure better buy-in through the latter. You yeah. Know, doing with, not doing to. Yeah. Ian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. And a pleasure to be interviewed by the Sean Connery of London. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think I've definitely been over promoted there. So, as I said at the start of this podcast, this is the first of the Radical Reformers interviews, which is really focused on place. And if you think back to what Ian was talking about around public realm, around having restaurants, entertainment, um, about having a, a really buzzing and vibrant commercial environment with inward investment and having the housing to support that, but then also paying attention to really important issues like climate and that being very important to investors. And he gave the example of Unilever taking that very seriously. So Ian's Philosophy of the role of the Council being really to put yourself in the shoes of an investor and create an environment that creates that dynamism. I think it was, was really insightful and there's a lot of lessons to be taken from that. I was also really grateful to Ian for sharing his thoughts and experiences of Rotherham. You know, this was one of the most public and awful failures in public services that we've seen in this country. But as is often said, it's darkest before the dawn, and I thought how Ian described how different public services, including the police and the council, had worked together to try and dig themselves out of this terrible hole that they were in was really instructive and really inspirational, actually. And and the other thing which struck me was how many of the children's services staff were still there when the corrective work was being undertaken and even after that so you know i do firmly believe and i said it during the interview and and ian agreed that this is not about people fundamentally wanting to do a bad job it is about getting the system right and getting the environment right where people can do the really good job that they want to and that's not excusing the actions of particular individuals in this circumstance but generally speaking as a system it was broken so that's all we have time for on this episode i hope you enjoyed it and please as always remember to register on the website or follow us on linkedin or twitter to never miss a future episode